Revelation chapter 18, let's read together. It says, After this I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Then I heard another voice come from heaven, saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning. Since in her heart she says, I sit as a queen. I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. For this reason her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire. For mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. And the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her since no one buys their cargo anymore. Cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots, and slaves, that is, human souls. The fruit for which your soul longed has gone from you, and all your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. The merchants of these wares who gained wealth from her will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. Alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen, in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels and with pearls. For in a single hour all this wealth has been laid waste. And all shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors and all whose trade is on the sea, stood far off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning. What city was like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads and they wept and mourned, crying out, Alas, alas, for the great city, where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth. For in a single hour she has been laid waste. Rejoice over her, O heaven! And you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon the great city be thrown down with violence, and will be found no more. And the sound of harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpeters will be heard in you no more. 
and a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. And the light of a lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of the bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth, and all nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of the prophets and of saints and of all who have been slain on earth. So Revelation chapter 18. All right, so the, the harlot of Babylon that we've been looking at for the past couple of weeks now. The harlot of Babylon here has seduced the kings of the earth with her wealth, with her power, with her beauty. Uh, and John is, is now giving a, a, a picture, a glimpse of the future when Babylon the Great will come to its appointed end. Uh, and this is the, the song that comes. We've already seen it happen a couple of times now. Uh, you think this might be an important event in the history of the world when this is coming collapsing down. This is the same thing that we saw in the seventh bowl uh, that gets poured out. This is the destruction of Babylon. This is the same thing that we saw in chapter 17 when we see uh, Babylon uh, being described here. And now she is coming to her end. And this fall, this, this final uh, end of Babylon is being celebrated here. Celebrated here by heaven, but mourned and wept over by the people of the world, the citizens of the world. Uh, and this destruction, it's being wept over by them because it's bringing them great destruction as well. Uh, ruin, financial ruin. But the thing I want to look at mostly tonight is the warning. The warning for believers. The warning for those who are in the hearing of John's words that they would come out, come out from there. You know, just the, this afternoon I was on Facebook and on, and, I, and if you all are friends with me on Facebook, you may have seen me post this, but I was on Facebook and up at the very top of the screen up here, uh, the little Facebook up there, if you, if you hang out for a second and wait for it, it'll start changing and it, it starts moving and it does something. And I was like, well, what's that for? I clicked on it. And apparently, it's, it's coming out day 2020. It's time, the day to come out and celebrate your LGBT status. Coming out day. And so I posted, I said, I, I'm so proud of Facebook for celebrating Revelation 18.4. That it's time to come out. Come out of her. Hmm. Come out. Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. That's a coming out party I can get behind. <laughs> uh, and and the, the thing is, that is exactly what we see with this harlot of Babylon. Is she is riding on the backs of the, the government of the world, uh, and she is controlling the economic and religious and ethical moral compass of people and today it works the same way if you're a celebrity and you come out against that you are cast aside forgotten uh, put in the trash heap of society left behind canceled whatever you want to call it uh, because you're not participating with the harlot <laughs> you're not you're not playing her game the way that she wants to play. 
And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. Because John says, Jesus says through John, come out. Come out from her, lest you be crushed with her. So let's, let's look at this as we go. Um, recall that back in Revelation 17, our, our text from the last few weeks, that Babylon is depicted as this, this great prostitute, this harlot who seduces all the kings of the earth, who, who commits spiritual adultery with her, and this spiritual adultery is more than just sexual sin. It, is, it includes sexual sin, certainly, but it is all kinds of spiritual idolatry. Um, and this great city that John calls the harlot sits on many waters, rules over many kings of the earth, and, and seduces them with the allure of her wealth and her beauty. And because of these seductive ways, people serve her and in consequence serve her master, the beast, whom she rides upon. Uh, this is symbolism saying that she's doing his bidding. She is doing exactly what... Uh, what he would have her do, they forged an, an unholy alliance here. And as I mentioned, we see it in our day today, but uh, in John's day, this would have been the empire, the Roman Empire, and the city of Rome, and the emperor worship that was going on there in that day. And we could translate it to any culture and time, any time since then, because this speaks not just to the people that are there, but to all believers throughout all time from the first advent to the second advent that we're uh, about to celebrate the first one coming up here in a few weeks by looking at the second even in in more close detail uh, but tonight the big focus is on the fall of babylon and this uh, uh, just downward spiral that we see here in chapter 18 and the the weeping and the mourning that happens over it and, and I, I find it almost interesting that there's so much space dedicated here for uh, unbelievers and for the world to, to weep and to mourn over the loss of their, their wealth, the loss of their uh, commerce, the loss of, of this city, quote unquote. And we're not talking about a physical city. We're talking about a, a symbol here. Um, but they, they're given so much room to, to mourn over it. But it, it is in comparison. It is matched up with the mourning of the saints over the loss of their friends and loved ones in persecution, uh, which is why we end here with, and in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and all who have been slain on the earth. Uh, we see the rejoicing in heaven that this has happened, that vindication and justice has been brought about. But for those that don't know Christ, for those that don't have this relationship with him, it is only seen as, as a bad thing. It's seen as economic ruin and hardship and persecution in their sense. Uh, and they see no more than just the physical around them. And so uh, we saw how the sixth bowl, the sixth bowl judgment uh, was this demonic deception, the gathering of the nations at Armageddon to wage war on the church. And then the seventh bowl judgment is the uh, destruction of, of Babylon uh, that we saw there in the end of chapter 16. Uh, and it is destroyed, you see, in, in chapter 16, verse 19, it says, The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the uh, nations fell, and God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And we see that exact kind of picture here uh, where it says, you know, make her drink a double portion. You know, give her uh, this, this double portion mixed 
uh, for her in the cup that she mixed. Uh, so uh, there's there's not a it's not without reason that we look at this and we see a repetition of what's come before. Okay, that this is not another step, but a step back to zoom in on what we've already seen. Um, and so this with these two bold judgments that happen right at once with the, the destruction of, of you know, this worldly power here, uh, Armageddon coming, and the judgment of God, the judgment of God, these all happening right at once, this to me is one of the biggest arguments uh, against premillennialism. Okay, and uh, I plan as we get to chapter 20, um, to show you guys a video, I'm gonna I'm gonna not talk one night and show you guys a video as a uh, a discussion between the four views of premillennialism, just to see that on all sides of it there are believers that debate this and argue this back and forth, and it's a it's a good debate. Uh, but this is one of the reasons why I lean away from premillennialism to amillennialism, to saying that we are living in this millennial reign now, and that at the end when it comes whenever God chooses to have it come, that everything that we're waiting for will happen all, all at once. The judgment, the downfall of the uh, evil one, the trumpet judgment there, or not the trumpet judgment, the great throne judgment, the supper of the lamb, all of these things happening all in one event. And that it's not the return of Christ and then a thousand year millennium and then the judgment and then the final. I don't, I don't see that anywhere, and I hope as we get closer to Revelation 20 that you can see that this is looking at this 1,000 years as a picture, again, of the whole scape of time uh, from one advent to the other. And we're, we're getting there, and we'll get to that when we get into Revelation chapter 20. But uh, this, this picture here, just it can't uh, work in, in my sense uh, if we try to... Force a millennium in here. <laughs> it just it doesn't it doesn't fit anyway uh, that I can figure out. That's one of the reasons why I lean towards the view that I do. So anyway, uh, simply put, it just means we are we're in this millennial age right now. That we've got nothing you know to look forward to besides the coming of Christ and meeting Him face to face and reigning with Him forever. Not just for a thousand years, but for all time. Uh, not just a time of peace and prosperity on earth, but instead it is now. Uh, this thousand years is a reign of believers from heaven with Christ for all this time. That God is winning. <laughs> he's he's win We can look around us and we go, he's winning? This doesn't look like winning. But he's winning. He's totally got everything in control. He knows exactly what's going on, and he's allowing... Uh, the, the evil forces of this world just enough rope to hang themselves with and he will come and vindicate his righteousness in the end so there is also this important pastoral emphasis that's in the book of Revelation that we kind of keep coming back to you know John is seeking to offer hope and comfort to these persecuted Christians that we looked at all the way back in the first you know, few chapters when he's writing to the seven churches there. Keep those in mind. Keep these seven churches in mind because this becomes especially clear as we draw close to the end of the book. He's giving them a glimpse. He's, he's pulling back the curtain, literally revealing 
what is happening at the end. He's giving a glimpse of how this great drama of redemptive history comes to its final and glorious climax with uh, here in chapter 18, the destruction of, of the, the city, the harlot, uh, and the introduction of the bride of Christ and the second coming in Revelation 19 that we're getting to, this thousand years and the final judgment of Satan in Revelation 20, and then the establishment of the new heavens and new earth in Revelation 21 and 22. Uh, that's, that's a picture of where we're going over these next few weeks as we approach Christmas. How in the world are we already this close to be close to Advent? Uh, it's hard to believe 2020 has been an interesting year, to say the least. But with these final chapters of Revelation, we are, are given a glimpse at the, the back of the book. Now, I, I, as a teacher, you know, you, you give a quiz and you have kids that start looking at the back of the book immediately to see if the answers are back there. Well, they are. <laughs> they are for us. The answers are here. We see the solution. We see the end of the story uh, here. T Teresa, when she starts reading a, a story, and I don't know why, she, I, I can't stand it, but she'll start reading a story and she'll get into it, and then she'll flip to the last page and read it, read the last chapter or last page, just to see if it turns out the way she likes <laughs> or not. <laughs> and, and it reminds me of looking at Revelation, because we can do that. We can do that as believers. When we get to a point in our life when we're like, oh, I can't believe this is going on. There's so much around me, and I'm, I'm swamped. I'm drowning. Guess what? We can look at the end of the book. We can read the last chapter, and we can go, you're there. You're, you're, you're going to be there at the end. You're going to protect me. You're going to keep me through this. You're, you're going you're gonna to bring me through so I can see you face to face, and I'm going to join with you in glory, and it's all going to be okay. We can see the end in the midst of it. And so, uh, as we look at this, we can just kind of keep that in mind that these believers who are enduring you know, persecution, uh, who are you know, facing the point of the sword, who are having uh, the treasures of this world withheld from them because they won't take the mark of the beast and they won't bow before uh, the imperial guard that says, say Caesar is Lord, and they choose to stand instead for Christ and they lose their head that they can recognize it's okay when you do it you are just joining with Christ in the end that you are more than conquerors and we see Paul talk about it when he, he talks to the church in, in Romans chapter 8 and he says what can separate us from the love of Christ what, what can separate us from the love of Christ and his answer is a whole lot of things can separate you from your life. Tribulation, persecution, distress, peril, nakedness, sword. We are being killed all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. A lot of things can separate you from your life. But he says, and in all of these things, we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Because nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in us, that is with us in Christ Jesus. That's amazing. That's the best superpower ever. <laughs> that, that death, in the face of death, we uh, don't flinch. We don't flinch as believers. Okay. So, it is in this sense that Rome is a, is a great harlot. Rome is the, the epicenter of the Roman you know, Empire, right? It's, it's, the, it's the heart. It's the beating heart 
of what's going on there. It's the seat of the emperor. It's where uh, the authority lies. It's where Paul wanted to get to. He knew if, if he could get to Rome and influence things there, that things could trickle down from there and change. Uh, and so when John here talks about Rome as this great harlot, that this harlot is, is promising wealth and prosperity to those who would just ignore their allegiance with Christ. And it was the same in John's day if, if John would have just said, you know what, I, I'm just going to leave this behind. I'm going to not preach the gospel. I'm not going to do this. He could have went on and had a celebrated life. Paul could have been a, a wealthy man, could have been a, a Pharisee or a religious leader and not been persecuted, gotten rich, had all kinds of, of things that happened in his life. But he, he chose a different path. But the, the harlot calls people to herself. And so these people try to avoid persecution and they conduct their business even if some, sometimes they're saying, you know, Caesar is Lord, with their fingers crossed behind their back. You know, we watched, we watched Silence, the you know, past, few, past movie night there, and I know it was sticking with some people as they continued to think about it. The more and more I think about it, the more I think that stepping on Christ and, and denying him in that moment uh, is not just a private thing that goes on and God's like, yeah, go ahead. But it's a it's a saying Caesar is Lord. It's a it's a bowing down. It's there. Rather than accepting your fate. I don't know. It's it's a struggle. That's a struggle. That's something to wrestle with. But I, I think we can see here what we're called to, and it's not an easy task. So John has already told us that that this kind of thing, this this bowing the knee, this uh, going over to worshiping Caesar was happening in some of the churches that we see in chapter 2 and 3. Uh, indeed, there were Christians who were increasingly attracted to money, attracted to power, attracted to glamour and celebrity, the, the harlots dangling in front of them. And they were seeking to go after it. And it happens today, right? I mean, we, we watched American Gospel a few weeks back or a month or two back two months, three months back. <laughs> it's been a while. It's been a while now, but it still hangs with me. But if you haven't seen it, go watch, uh, go on to YouTube and watch American Gospel. Um, and it talks about the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel that we see around us in, in churches just down the street. And we can, you could walk into a, a church just around here and see churches teaching this idea that God wants nothing more than your success and your happiness, and he wouldn't want you to hurt at all, and if you just have enough faith, you can get rid of all your sickness, and, and there's nothing bad, and that's, it's just a lie. It's just this. It's the harlot saying, come, seek a really nice life right now, and miss out on the best. It's it's a compromise. It's a compromise to just deny Christ just a little bit, just a little bit, and turn away. And so rather than suffering persecution for refusing to worship the, the beast and his image, the harlot seduces these churches and seduces us today by offering us what looks like an easier way, a better way. And John's point is to warn the church that 
that Satan will either attack us directly with the sword, which we don't see that as much today, right? Thankfully. Thankfully, we don't see very much of Satan attacking us directly with the sword. But if he can't attack us directly with the sword, he will attack us indirectly through the wiles of the seductress, this harlot. And so we all mu always must be on guard. We've got to keep our hands up in the fight. It's amazing to me how Hebrews and Revelation are kind of merging together <laughs> as we see these lessons go back and forth because it's, it's all about the same thing. And I, I, I can't think that it is without a purpose. I don't think it's, it's by accident that God has, has guided us as a church, as, as his people, to looking at this idea of keeping on guard, be on guard, stand watch, don't fall away, keep your hands up, fight, strive for holiness. Because the, the temptation to fall away and to, to vacillate and to choose a different gospel that's not really the gospel is everywhere. And it, and it sounds real nice. It sounds real nice. I mean, just this morning, we were on the way to church, and I heard, uh, and we were listening to, to 91.7, listening to, you know, the, the Christian radio station. But there was a whole section where this lady's talking, and she's giving her spiel, uh, and, and I listened to it, and I said, she didn't say anything in that that a, a Muslim couldn't have said and been happy with. It was just the most bland God talk. Oh, you... You need to have a close relationship with God and do this. But it never said how. It never talked about how we have this relationship or who it's through. I was thankful that the next song talked about the cross at least. And so it was like, oh, good. We'll get back to Jesus a little bit here. But just it's so easy for us to fall into this kind of generic belief. Zoe asked me this morning, I've got a friend who... Who, who believes that there is a God out there somewhere, but she just doesn't know who it is. And I said, well, talk to him. Talk, talk to her and say, tell me about this God of yours. How do you know what he's like? How do you know who he is, what he stands for, what he does? Is he good? Is he eternal? Is he, is he for you? Is he against you? How, how do you know? What authority do you stand on? Because if, if we don't stand with this, then we, we can just pick a God of our choosing. We can make a God that we like a whole lot, but that God will fail us in the end. And it, it, it'll feed us all kinds of good things in our life right now, and we can be happy with it today. But it falls apart in the end. And so it's important to remember uh, that in John's you know, symbolism here, you know, the beast and the harlot, which are, are John's you know, Roman Empire in his day, they are our prophetic images. Uh, and these are being pulled, all of these songs and these images, this stuff is being pulled from the images of the fall of Babylon back in Jeremiah chapter 50 and 51 uh, and in Ezekiel 26. Okay, you can, at the fall of Tyre in Ezekiel 26. You read those and they, they look the same. And we won't even look at them right now, but write them down. Jeremiah 50 and 51 and Ezekiel, I believe it's 26, maybe 24. But it's in that section, it's the fall of Tyre. Uh, and they're 
you know, speaking of, of these. And it's especially Tyre as we get into all of the ideas of the merchants and the sailors, because Tyre was a seafaring uh, uh, community. You know, the Tyre and Sidon, they, they sailed all over the place. They were the Phoenicians. They were the ones that spread, you know, the, the Phoenician alphabet, phonetic alphabet came from them. Uh, you know, and they spread it all over the, the known world. Uh, but when they lost their ability to trade, they fell apart as a nation. And that's kind of what they're pulling on here as a picture uh, that all of these merchants who gained wealth and the shipmasters and the seafaring men stood on the sea and cried out and said, what, was, what city was like this great city? So look back at those Old Testament passages definitely and, and see the uh, pictures that are there. That's where he's pulling this uh, symbolism from, definitely. But it's a, it's a picture of these empires and nations and forces and, and political entities and uh, economic empires that are seeking to seduce Christians into spiritual adultery and drawing us away from Christ. So... When the news of Babylon's destruction is announced, there's two sets of responses. Okay, so we'll actually look at the text now as we've kind of looked at everything up to it and given a big overview. But let's look at the text here. So when the news of Babylon's destruction is announced, there's two sets of responses. And the first response is from heaven. And it's found in verses 1 through 3 and then in verse 20. Of Revelation uh, chapter 18 and then the second response is verses 4 through 19 and it is this lament of those who profited from the great city and who participated in her adultery so uh, or excuse me in her adultery or idolatry so starting with the response from heaven let's let's read right there in verse 1 it says after this I saw another angel coming down from heaven having authority and the earth was made bright with his glory uh, now is this Jesus very good possibility. Uh, when we see glory ascribed to someone, usually it is either God or Jesus in the book of Revelation. Uh, but there's nothing here that says that it couldn't have been an angel who is reflecting the glory of God here. Um, it's a, that's a usual thing. It's not a hard and fast rule. And I think as we get closer and closer, and as we're almost there, uh, I see through the New Testament that you know, we are being transformed from glory into glory, and we're getting closer and closer. And so why wouldn't the angels be doing the same thing, getting closer and closer to God's glory and shining brighter and brighter and brighter? You know, we're, we're going to shine like stars in the kingdom of our Heavenly Father, says Matthew 18, I believe. Uh, so we're going to share in his glory. We're going to shine with his glory like this. And so is this Jesus? Is this an angel? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But it's glorious. Uh, and it fills the earth. The earth was made bright with his glory. And he calls out with this mighty voice. And he says, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons. Um, this is coming from, uh, from the book of Leviticus. In the book of Leviticus, we see the uh, Day of Atonement celebration that's there that we just actually got past a few weeks ago um, on our calendar. Uh, the Day of Atonement is this celebration where we have the, the two lambs and one lamb uh, is slaughtered 
uh, for the sins of the people, the sacrifice, the, the sacrificial lamb that makes atonement for the sins of the world. That's Jesus is the sacrificial lamb. But then we see the second lamb that is there in uh, Leviticus 16 and 17 that the, the high priest places his hand on him and he prays over him and he, and he puts the sins of the people onto this lamb and then sends them away into the wilderness. Sends them away uh, into the wilderness and, and they, they give this, they give this um, lamb a name and some of your translations of the Bible might say that it's the scapegoat. And that's what a lot of people have begun calling this second lamb is the scapegoat because it's and we say it in our modern language it's like oh uh, uh oh I, I did something wrong I need a scapegoat I need somebody that I can blame for this I need somebody who's going to take away the guilt from me uh, and that's that idea but the word in Hebrew is actually azazel uh, and it's this word azazel and it's only used like four times in that particular passage in Leviticus and it's talking about demons that were worshipped and celebrated by the Canaanites and the uh, and the Egyptians during that day. They're goat demons. Okay, They're, They take the form of like a goat uh, which there's reasons why we see that in pagan celebrations these, these goat demons, goat celebrations, Azazel. Um, but there's this lamb that the sins are put on this lamb and then he's cast out into the outside of the community outside of the camp so that he's cast out into the dwelling place for demons. There's a dwelling place for demons. It's not with the people of God. It's outside, in outer darkness. Uh, and, and she has become, Babylon, this, this place, has become this dwelling place for demons. It's, it's outside of the people of God. Even if the people are in Babylon, even if the people are there, they don't belong to Babylon because Babylon doesn't, have anything to do with them. We can be in the world, but not of the world. And so it says that she's become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, unclean bird, unclean and detestable beast. So the, the idea here is pulling way back to the, to the you know, foundations of the law and the Levitical priesthood here and, and saying that there's nothing about Babylon that is worthy of redemption everything that is detestable, that is unclean, that is bad, that is unworthy has been cast aside here. It's, it's the trash heap. And there's a reason why in the New Testament we see the, the valley of Hinnom uh, referred to as, as hell. We see this picture of hell as Gehenna or the valley of Hinnom. It's because that was the garbage dump. That was where the fires continually burned and when you had trash and garbage and refuse, you brought it out to the Valley of Hinnom and you threw it out there and it just burned and the flames were not quenched and the worms did not die. These are all ideas that we hear when we think of hell, right? These are, are hellish pictures and they're pictures that came from the, the scape around them, the landscape around them and the, the worship of these demons that were around them. It says that this is, this is separate from you. It was, it was. That so was also where they had Molech. Yes. Keeps on to the just terrible grossness. Yeah, yeah, it does. If you look at the book of Leviticus and the book of Numbers and try to, like, I know those are, are fun books to read, right? And your your spare time, if you want to read Numbers, uh, <laughs> it's actually worth it. Read it. It's so good. 
Because what it's speaking of here is it's calling the people to be different, different than the people around them. They're, remember, they're coming out of Egypt, and Egypt worshiping their 2,500 different gods in their pantheon. Lots of different gods for everything under the sun, worshiping those things and enjoying their raisin cakes and their good stuff there. And then you've got the Canaanites that are around them that are worshiping their things. And, and the, the constant call of God is to come out from them. Don't be like them. <laughs> Don't be like the Egyptians. Don't be like the Canaanites who are uh, sexually immoral, who are immoral in many other ways, like, like Esau. They're unholy, and they treat the, the good things of God as if they're rubbish, and they sell their birthright for a bowl of stew. And the, the third thing is they do child sacrifice. Molech is one of the gods that is most worshipped by the Canaanites, and this god Molech called for child sacrifice. And, and what do we see in our culture today? But LGBT sexual immorality all around us. You see unholiness in everything that you can look at, and we see child sacrifice and abortion for the God of convenience. I mean, it, you, you, I can't get away from it. I, I can't not see how closely aligned we are to this time, to the early believers, in, in the Old Testament to John's time in uh, the Roman culture and to our own culture today. Um, and we saw in, in the Roman culture when this started happening, they were just on the way down. They were going downhill. Uh, and who knows, this may be the end. We may be getting close to this right now. Or it may be another cycle. It may be another cycle. We may see more. God may relent and give grace and wait as he's seeking more and more who come to him. I don't know. I don't know. But the, the message here is that Babylon's falling. There's nothing worth, worthy in Babylon here. Uh, all the nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. The kings of the earth have committed immorality with her. The merchants have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. And if you hadn't seen the economic picture that we were looking at in chapter 17, because it's not very very prevalent in chapter 17. You see how, how fancy she's dressed and stuff, but it doesn't really talk about economics there. It does in chapter 18. You can't miss it in chapter 18, that the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Now, that, that was where everybody went in their day was to Rome. You wanted to trade things in Rome. If you could get it to Rome, you could get it everywhere. Uh, like today, if I want to sell something, I can get it in Walmart. Man, I can get it on everybody's shelf, and I can get it in everybody's house. Uh, it, it's that merchandise, that, that uh, political, economic power that's there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's the banking capital. If you can get influence culture there. Mm. Oh, oh, there's a little, there's a little old blue eyes. I can make it there. I'll make it anywhere. It's up to you. Oh, anyway, sorry. Uh, anyway, I, I, used to, I used to impersonate him do birthday parties and impersonate old blue eyes. Uh, all right. So, I, I probably shouldn't have drank coffee before I came. <laughs> so the angel that reveals this 
speaks with the authority of God. We see this, and we see Babylon's end is very fitting for her because she is worthless. Uh, the glittering city of man will suddenly become uh, a barren wasteland inhabited only by demons and vultures. Her, her fleeting glory will only last for one hour. One hour, just, just an hour. And, and we saw that in the last chapter, in chapter 17, verse 12. It'll last for an hour, and then it's gone in an hour. Short time and a short time. Not literally an hour, but it's tiny compared to the thousand years of the time between his first coming and second coming. Uh, and so without her jewelry, without her makeup, without all of her, her good wares here, she has no more beauty. Her true ugliness is exposed, and her lovers desert her. They turn on her. They destroy her, as we saw in verse 16 of chapter uh, seven, 17. Uh, and the ten horns you saw, they will hate the prostitute and make her desolate and naked and devour her and burn her up with fire. Okay, so the, the very same ones that here in chapter 18 are weeping to see her gone because it's affected them financially are the very ones that turned on her and burned her because God put it into their hearts to do so. Uh, and so the message here, heaven resounds with this message for people, this, this kind of last warning, this this last cry of come out of her. And then I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people. Now, is this God talking to the church, giving them a, a final cry and saying, all right, it's time to leave. It's time to come home. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you out and I'm going to protect you. That's a possibility. It's a possibility. Uh, I personally think this is God calling his elect, calling his people out from the midst of this, this final warning saying, people, come. And if you come and you persevere to the end, you'll be saved. But if you don't, you show yourself to be part of Babylon and you'll be destroyed. That's the image that we see here and in Jesus's words. Okay, so since this message is proclaimed by, God, by John to those living throughout this present evil age, we, we must be reminded that you know, we are God's people and we live in exile here in this city of man. Okay, we are, uh, the, the church that we were at in, in Louisville was called Sojourn uh, because we are pilgrims, we're sojourners, we're traveling through. This is not our home. Uh, this place is not our home. We are kingdom citizens. We're citizens of a different kingdom, not of, of America. Now, are we Americans? Sure, sure. And can we seek the good of America? Yes, we can. And what is the good of America? It's Christ. He's the only solution. And so we seek the good of the people around us by proclaiming the gospel and by living on their behalf for them, sacrificing ourselves for their betterment by bringing them the word and showing that it is vastly more valuable than anything that this world has to offer. That's the way that we, we serve our community around us. So we've got to be reminded that we live here as, as exiles. You know, we wander through the wilderness of this age as pilgrims. We, we are salt and light, and we're making our way to this heavenly city. And so we, we've got to take the, the cultural mandate, the mandate to, to go and to, to build and to be... Um, be the image of God and create culture around us. 
uh, and to subdue the earth in the name of Christ. We've got to take that seriously, but we can't forget that our true citizenship is in heaven. Our true citizenship is in heaven, and somebody just posted on Facebook this week, they said, you know, in these next couple of months, uh, while the donkeys and the, and the elephants are trying to convince you of one way or the other, uh, don't forget that you belong to the Lamb. You're not a donkey or an elephant, you're a lamb. Uh, you belong to him. That's, that's good. I like that. I like that. And we can, we can be citizens here. We can uh, vote and do our duty in our current surroundings, in our situation. But at the end of the day, we don't belong here. And, and if you feel like you don't fit, <laughs> it's for a reason. You're not supposed to fit. If you fit, if you fit here, you, something's wrong. Something's wrong. You, you, you're, you're part of Babylon. So don't fit in. Be different. Be salt. Be light, as Jesus calls you to. Okay, so uh, as, we, as we keep going on, uh, the angel exclaims there in, in, chapter, in verses 6 through 8 uh, that the punishment that God brings upon the harlot is going to match the nature of her crimes. Uh, you see that it says uh, her sins are heaped as high as heaven. God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others. Repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. Uh, as she glorified and herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning. Okay, that luxury, luxury and that uh, good glorification that she received now will just be like repaid in torment and mourning. She said, I'm a queen, I'm, a wid uh, I'm no widow, I am a queen, mourning I will not see, but for this reason plague will come in her in a single day, and death, mourning, and famine, and burning up with fire will come upon her. So there's a, a just punishment that is there that at the end of time, God is making all things right. He is bringing all of history to an end and making this situation just. Because in his divine forbearance, he's overlooked sin for thousands of years. And that's caused an issue for his justice. All of his mercy is piling up and piling up and piling up and his justice has to come to a head. And it has to come to a head in two ways. Either in Christ, where he has poured out his wrath on Christ on our behalf, and we can hide under Christ and protect ourselves under him, hiding inside him because his blood covers us. Or we can bear the wrath of God for ourselves. That's the picture that we see. And it comes to a head, comes to a fore here, in the final chapters of Revelation. Um, this death, famine, and mourning she's receiving. All right. And the, the consequences of her fall rock the whole earth. Uh, we see the kings of the earth freaking out because everything is, is falling apart around her. Uh, they are terrified at her torment. They stand off and say, whoa, great city of Babylon, city of power. Uh, all of these different things. If you want to read something great, uh, a guy named uh, Balkum, Richard uh, Balkum, wrote uh, in his um, commentary on this a great thing. He broke down every single one of these 
items that are listed here in, in chapter verses 11 on or verse 11 through uh, verse 13 just broke them out and was like here here's how they were traded and here's why it was a picture of uh, the you know the Babylonian kind of rule in that time uh, but I only want to focus on this last one slaves now you've got all of these other things and and there's none of these that are by themselves wrong right Gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth. None of those are evil in and of themselves. Except for the last one. Slaves. That is human souls. I think this is John here um, interjecting his ethical stance on slavery. Uh, sometimes the Bible gets a bad rap because it talks about slavery and doesn't condemn it. But here, in just three words, it does. It does. It says that it's going to be one of the things that falls and that it's done for. Slavery still exists today. We, we might have outlawed it, but it's still around. Sex trafficking, whatever you want to call it today, whatever names we put on it, uh, it's still there. But trafficking human souls is something that will be wiped out in the final day. It'll be done away with. Uh, and these merchants will no longer be able to profit off of it. It's one of the ways that Babylon has been lifted up and the sad thing is we're uh, on Monday celebrating Columbus Day Hey, let's celebrate how this happened early on in our our civilization but anyway I won't go there you got a thought? yes yes that, that is the new way to say Columbus Day that hopefully gives a little bit of respect to the fact that 90% of Native Americans died when we came over. I'm just saying. Uh, I, and I'm part of it. I was, I'm, I'm English and Scottish and Dutch and all of that, so I'm part of it. Uh, but yeah, 90%, 90% of the folks that were here wiped out because of disease. Not because of warfare and stuff, but there was slavery and whatnot as well. Uh, and it was wrong. We can say it was wrong. It was not right. None of it was. And it should have been condemned in those days. And there were a few voices that were standing out from the crowd and condemning it. But much of the political and religious establishment was going, yeah, go right on it. And we, we hear when we talk about um, history, we hear that these folks were coming and they were preaching God, seeking gold and seeking glory. And they were missionaries and they were doing this. But it should have been the other way. It was, it was glory and gold and a little bit of God. Yeah little bit maybe here or God as a method for them to get gold and glory it was Babylon and I don't think we should celebrate it anyway that's me so as we see this you can see them weep and cry here uh, and you see in the final verses here and then a mighty angel took up this great millstone and threw it in the sea and said so Babylon the great city will be thrown down with violence and will be found no more it's wiped out. All of the, the celebration, the mirth, the happiness, uh, the, the craftsmen, the sound of the mill, the light of the lamp, the voice of the bridegroom and the bride, all gone, all wiped out. And that's not saying, again, that any of these things are wrong. Okay, This is saying that in that place, there will no longer be any celebration or happiness or joy. All the things that are good like musicians and flute players and trumpets and craftsmen and mill and bridegroom and bride, all of these wonderful things have been deceived 
and they're going to cease to be in Babylon because Babylon will cease to be. Uh, and it will continue on those good things as we rejoice in heaven as we get to chapter 19. Okay, so the, the big question is, big question is, and we're, we're done here. You know, heaven rejoices at this news. They rejoice over her, as verse 20. Rejoice over her, O heaven, you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. And as we rejoice, as we rejoice, we see that um, the bride faces destruction, the, bride, the beast, excuse me, faces uh, destruction, and the bride of Christ is being prepared for this glorious feast in chapter 19 for the, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And so the question left for John's readers, for us, is who will it be? Who will it be? The seductive allure of the harlot or the true beauty and riches of Jesus? It's our choice to decide. Come out of her. Come out of her and join the bride. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. And God, we thank you for Christ. We thank you that he paved the way and he covers over our sins so that we no longer stand in condemnation and judgment as we look at you. But instead you look down from heaven and you see the blood of your son covering us and your wrath is turned away. And instead you give us life and you give us entrance into your family and you bless us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. God, we rejoice in our salvation, so great a salvation. And we pray that as we are here living in this in-between, in the, the already but not yet of your kingdom, <coughs> that we would live out our lives in faithfulness to your word, and that we would live with discernment as we seek to not go after the harlot in any way, but to call her out and to speak against the illicit practices that she endorses and instead to worship Christ and to go after him as our husband as we are enrobed in fine, clean linens with his blood and as we do holiness in our righteousness because we are cleansed and because we are made new so that we might see him one day and rejoice at our seeing him and not tremble. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.